Okay, good evening everyone, welcome back. We're coming to you another Thursday evening, another end of another productive yet ultra quick week over here. And uh, this is, of course, our one week of the year where we have the power of challenge and Chumash here. Good evening, thank you, nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, a subdued week, a subdued uh, challenge, but as was already testified, it's, you know, it's almost a sacrilegious to say such a thing during the nine days, but the island is tiny that they wouldn't even know that the challenge is power of not fleshic. So Shkayich, once again, Rabbi Aronson. But uh, subdued week, but the Torah is never allowed to be subdued, so let's do our best to try to explore Parshas Devarim over here, Shabbos Chazayin, Parshas Devarim, and see what we can glean and gain together from the insights of this Parsha uh, in the time that we have a lot of us before we have to break for Mincha. So we have a brand new Parsha, a brand new Sefer, beginning a new book, the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Devarim, new Parsha, Brian, you need the chairs over here, Brian. Chairs and shalons, here's a, there's a chair over here. Um, and Devarim, of course, the Book of Devarim and Sefer Devarim and the, and the Parsha of Devarim marks a, a, a significant transitional point in the Torah. We have the five books, of course, there's the first four and the last, last, the fifth, and we know that Devarim is separate and distinct from the first four in that it is Divrei Moshe. This is now really Moshe speaking to Klai Yisrael. The first four is the Rebbein Yisraelim addressing Klai Yisrael, the Rebbein Yisraelim giving Moshe instructions to share with Klai Yisrael. Devarim is Moshe now giving his final address. And all of Sefer Devarim takes a little bit more than a month. It's incredible. If you make a Cheshun in the years that are covered from the beginning of Bereshit still. The end of last week's parasha, so the end of by midway, the first four books, that covers some uh, twenty five hundred years, twenty five hundred years of um, of Jewish history, and, and and the fifth book, which twenty percent of the Torah covers about thirty plus days. 36. Yeah, thirty plus days, thirty six. It's a good number. Covers uh, just a little bit more than a month. A little bit more than a month is twenty percent of the Torah, and. The reason why we have this disproportion between the chronology, the time lapse, and the, the length of the material is because, again, this is Moshe's final address. Moshe is being the Klai Yisrael from Rosh Chodeshvat until his demise on the 7th of, of Adar, and it's his final address. And in his final address, he, he does several key things. And really, Devarim, Devarim, we could say, has four distinct parts to it. Four distinct parts. There's four themes, four four areas, four categories of, of, of what Moshe covers in his final address in the whole book of Devarim. And um, to, to, to identify those categories will help us, I think, dive into what we need to discuss this evening. And the categories that we have in Devarim is not in necessarily the order of appearance, but we have um, a lot of inspiration from Moshe, what we call hashkafa, a lot of basic insight, insights into into Jewish belief, into Jewish thought, into emuna, belief in God. A lot of Devarim is is about that. Ekev veschanon, parts of the end of Devarim. So a lot of hashkafa, a lot of basic Jewish principles and precepts. Then, of course, we have a review of the Torah. We have Mishnah Torah, where Moshe gives a review of of the halachas, this is Klai Yisrael is about to enter Eretz Yisrael. They're going to lose Moshe. They're going to lose their leader that they've had for forty years. That brought the Torah down. So Moshe gives one big final review, goes through everything together with him. So that's the second 
the second uh, area that's covered in Devarim. The third area, again, this is not an order of appearance, what we find towards the end is Moshe gives them a bracha at the end. It's the Zaysa bracha. He gives them a final departing bracha. Moshe's final address to Klaisrael is the final parsha where he says, I want to give you guys a bracha before I go. And the fourth area, which is what appears first, is Musr, rebuke. Moshe gives Klaisrael a lot of rebuke. A lot of upbraiding, a lot of crit- critique and criticism is a central part uh, of Devarm as well. Musr. Musr. Everybody knows that term, Musr. And if we don't, then in English what that means is again is rebuke, admonishment, critique and criticism. Pointing out to Klai Yisrael all the dumb things that they did and how they have to learn lessons from the past and how they have to be mindful of the past going forward into the future and, and to learn to, from their mistakes. That's, that's Musr. And Devarim really starts with Musr. And again, these are the four categories, the four ideas that pop up in Devarim. And, and it's not like we go from one to two to three to four, go from one to two, back to one, to three, back to two, to four, back to three, to four again. We kind of jump around. We do jump around. You know, there's a block of, of halacha that's, you know, let's say from um, Re'ei all the way through um, the beginning of Kisavai. So that's one big block of halacha, of, of the mitzvahs over there. But everything else, the Musr and the Brachas, and the Hashkafa and the Amunah, that's all kind of like, Samish, a little bit like, you know, jumps back and forth. But the Dvarim solidly begins with Moshe's Musr, the Musr of Moshe to Klai Yisrael. Moshe gives us Musr, and we know that in life, we sometimes have to give Musr as well. You know, anyone that's in charge of, of anybody, whether we're in charge of our families, which we are, we have to take responsibility for them. Whether we, we have, we're responsible for students, whether we're responsible for people that dive in together with us in shul, um, giving Musr is not always so pleasant. It's not a fun thing to give people admonishment, give people rebuke, to point out to people, you know, where they have to improve, but it is part of the responsibility of life. And we have many lessons that we can learn, and there are many lessons to be learned from how Maisha gives Musr to Kleisro. And I want to, like, point out a few of those, and they really are lessons that come directly to us from comments and observations that Rashi has over here. Rashi has to make. Rashi makes a few comments. Rashi has a few observations over here. And we, you see, if, if we if we mm-hmm. access these Rashis, I think, per, properly and correctly, we're able to gain a lot of insights into what it means to give Musr. And again, giving Musr is part of, of, of life, part of being Jewish, part of being a responsible Jew who's responsible for other people. We're all responsible for somebody. Even if it's just ourselves. We have responsibility to ourselves. Sometimes we have to give ourselves self-rebuke, self-admonishment. To give Musa to ourselves and then certainly to our children, to our peers, to, um, to uh, you know, our, our colleagues. Some of us excel, maybe not already naturally, telling everyone around us all the dumb things that they're doing. So maybe maybe uh, we're already, we're already um, you know, uh, shining in, in that area. But but there's always room for us to tweak and improve our techniques. So we learn from Maisha. We learn from Maisha just how to give Musr. And Maisha hits the grand. Deuteronomy. Devarim hits the grand with Maisha's Musr. So I want to pick up on a few comments that Rashi makes in different places in the beginning of the Parsha, which, again, give us these windows of insight in how to properly give Toichacha, Musr, rebuke, and admonishment. So, let's let's go first to Pasuk. Then we'll come back to Pasuk Aleph. So, um, I'll read the Sukkim inside first. Uh, Devarim begins with the following. Eila, Devarim, Asher, Dibre, Moshe, Kol Yisro, Be'ever, Ayyardin, Ba'midbar, Ba'rav, Ma'yisuf, Be'imparu, Be'intoyvu, V'lovin, V'chatzeris, V'dizov. These are the words that Moshe spoke to all of Kla Yisro. Kol Yisro, he spoke them to everybody. Gantz Kla Yisro. 
he had an assembly of everyone present, and he did it on the, in the Transjordan, the plains of Moab, um, as they were waiting to go in. And there's a whole string of places mentioned over here in the Pasuk, and Rashi says these are all allusions to different things that the Jews did that was wrong, different mistakes that they made at different points in their career. Okay, they were only 11 days away from Harsinai. 11 days from Harsinai, it took them 40 years to get there. Derech Harseyer, via Seyer, that's Edom, Ad Kadesh If you go straight through Edom, which they were supposed to do, it would have taken them 11 days. And it came to pass, it was in the 40th year, the 40th year of their sojourn in the desert. In the 11th month, that's Shvat, Bechad Achadesh, the first. Uh, of the month, it's Reish Chodesh Shvat. Diber Moshel Bnei Yisrael Kecholas Shetziv Hashem Oisoi Aleim. The fortieth year in the in the eleventh month, Moshe began his final address, his farewell address to all the Jews. Now, the Torah, there's, there's not a lot of places where the Torah uh, dates events for us. It's, it's interesting. There's few places you could probably count them. I don't think you need more than two hands to, to count up the places in all the Chamisha Chumshatur where the Torah says what date an event happened. Very few places. But this is one of the places where the Torah says that when did Moshe begin his final address to Kalah Yisrael? Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the first day of Shvat. Why do we have to know when he began his address? Why do I have to know? There's so many other things that the Torah doesn't say. When this happened, the Torah doesn't tell us when Miriam was in Nefteres. The Torah doesn't tell us when Yaakov knew that. We don't know Yaakov's in, in Torah Shabbat Chzab. It doesn't say Yaakov's yard site. Wouldn't we love to know when Yaakov's yard site is? Yaakov Avinu. Avinu tells us that they died. doesn't tell us when their yard site is. Now, who wouldn't, who wouldn't love to know Yaakovinu's yard site? You wouldn't have to say Tachanun that day, right? Avinu's yard site. Imagine skip Tachanun for Avinu Yitzchak Yaakov. Very few places we have the yard site identified. Aaron actually, the Torah tells us when Aaron was Nifter, tells us when Moshe was Nifter. But so many Gedalim and Tzadikim don't tell us when they were Nifter. But it does give us the date of Moshe's final address and why. So Rashi picks up on this. Let's see what Rashi says. It says Rashi, Vahivar Boim Shona Ba'ashtay Asr Chaydish Be'echad Chaydish. Malamid says Rashi, why does the Torah have to date this, have to tell us that Moshe began his address on the first day of Shvat? We don't necessarily need to know when he began the address, but what we do need to know, what is important, is how close to his death, how close to Moshe's own demise did he begin to address Christ, did he give him the final address? That's what the Torah wants to point out. It's not necessarily so significant to know when he began his final sermon, but the significance of this date is showing us just how close it was to Moshe's patira. How close Moshe was to his own death? And how close was he? So this is on Rish Chedesh Shvat. He's going to be Nifter on the 7th of Adar. This is 37 days away. Malamit says Rashi, this teaches us, Moshe only began to give them rebuke right before he was going to be Nifter, right before his impending death. And he's waited, he waited 40 years in the desert. He waited till right before he's about to be Nifter to give them a little bit of admonishment, to give them a little bit of constructive criticism. In other words, he could have given them Musa right away. He could have gotten up right after the Chayda Eagle and, 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 and blasted Kleisro. After the Miraglim, he could have blasted Kleisro. After the Slav, they did a lot of dumb things. But he saved all of his Musa till the end. He saved all of his Musa till right, about, right before he was about to be Nifter. Why, why, why should that be? Why should he wait till he's about to be Nifter? Mimi Lamatza, who did he learn this from? Says Rashi Yaakov. He learned this from Yaakov himself. When it came time for Yaakov Avinu to give his children the twelve shvatim, musr and rebuke, constructive criticism, he also did it right before he died. That's the end of Rashi. In Vayichi, he, he gives Ruvein, Musr, Shimon, Levi, he tells them all the bad things that they did. He, he gives them rebuke, he gives them constructive criticism. Okay, so we see Maisha gives Musr right before he dies to the, to the Yidin, to all of Klaisel. Yaakov gives, gives Musr to his kids right before he dies. But why? 
Why, why wait till you're about to die, till you're about to be nifted to give somebody Musr? Says Rashi, Omar. Rumein Bani. Let's see what Rashi says. So Yaakov waited till he was about to be nifted to give his children Musr. Rumein Bani. Ani Omer Lach. Mibnei Ma'aloi Hoichachticha. Kol Hashanah Ma'alolu. Why didn't I give you Musr all these years? Kedai Shalai Tani Cheni V'Seilech. So you shouldn't abandon me. You shouldn't leave me behind and 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 and, and you know part company with me part ways. So you shouldn't leave my company and go to Esav. Why did I give you Musr this whole time? Because if I if I was afraid if I give you Musr before I'm Nifter, you're gonna leave me. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna walk away, and you're gonna you're gonna go join up with Esav, hook up with Esav Harasha. Period. So Moshe is clearly learning from Yaakov. He's going to give Musa right before he's nifted. As Yaakov gave Musa right before he's nifted, and Rashi brings in a whole slew of other uh, great people who did this as well. Yeshu did it right before he was nifted. David gave his son Shlomo constructed criticism right before he was nifted. So all these people are learning from Yaakov Inu to give Musa rebuke, taichach, and admonishment right before their nifter. Why? So the, the, the prototype for this is, is Yaakov. What's Yaakov's reason? Yaakov's afraid if he gives Musa to Ruvain, in his lifetime, the Ruvain is going to say, and I had it with this. This is, this is enough. Enough is enough. This is not for me. I'm going to go join Asaph. Very interesting. So Moshe is clearly afraid as well. If he gives Moshe to Kleiso, Moshe is alive. Kleiso is going to go, join Asaph, join Amalek. David gives Moshe to Shlomo while David is still alive. Shlomo is going to go, you know, hook up with somebody else. So a couple of questions we have to ask over here. A, what's this concern? A strange concern over here. Very strange concern that if Yaakov gives Moshe to Ruvain, Prematurely, Ruvain's gonna say, I'm, I'm leaving, that's it, that I'm leaving. You know, see you later. A good vach, a good yar. I'm going, I'm heading out to Esav. Why is it that there's a concern that the son's gonna go to Esav if he gives him Musr? Why are you gonna go Esav, go to Esav? And the second question is, if there is indeed such a concern, why is that concern mitigated when he does it right before he's about to be nifter? He, as we would say in Talmud, it's Marabshach. If there's a concern that if I give somebody Musr, he's gonna abandon me. And he's gonna go, you know, walk out the door. And he's gonna go to Esav, Harasha, which there's some concern like that for some reason by Reuven. So, that concern should be whether it's the beginning of someone's life, the middle of someone's life, or the end of someone's life. It's even Rashi that that concern doesn't exist anymore. If there is such a concern, as long as we wait. So, Yaakov's about to be Nifter, Moshe's about to be Nifter, David's about to be Nifter, then we don't have to worry about that anymore. So these are the, the two prank question over here is, where is this concern coming from altogether? And why is that concern alleviated when a person waits till he's about to be nifter? And obviously, you know, the takeaway is going to have to be for us to take away some practical lessons in us giving Musr, because we have to give Musr all the time. We can't always afford to wait till we're about to be nifter, right? We should have Gazantan Lab, and we should all have healthy lives till 120. Healthy, wealthy, lucid, loving, wonderful, amazing lives till 120. But, you know, you got kids. our kids do dumb things all the time. We can't wait till 120 to give our kids Musr, right? It's a, Disaster, be a disaster. So, uh, so we have to have this. Has got to be some kind of takeaway for us over here. So let's try to address these two questions. Where is this concern coming from, and why is that concern ameliorated when a person's about to be nifter? So it's like this. What's the number one concern? As we said, we have so much to learn in giving Musa and our Musa technique from Moshe. What's the number one concern? Uh, adverse side effect that may happen. When I give somebody rebuke, I give somebody Musr. I, I point out to someone, you know, you're davening a little too loud. You're davening a little too quietly. You ever notice, by the way, the people that daven too loudly, those are always the people that are too close to you, right? 
Someone's in the back. Oh, he's, but, but look, he's so, so beautiful. Look at he's 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 look at his how he's getting so close to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So beautiful when that guy is standing next to you. So that's the guy who's diving too loudly. Okay, but sometimes you have to give the guy Musser, You know, you're diving too loud, diving too quietly, diving too long, diving too short. What's the number one concern? Uh, that 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 uh, the, the biggest concern, uh, the biggest risk that we take when we give someone Musser is he's going to. Uh, obviously, uh, the cliched response is going to take it the wrong way. But what does it mean take it the re- wrong way? It doesn't mean take the Musa the wrong way. He will not take it as Musa. Meaning, there are always one of two reactions that anyone will have when you supply them with, construct- with constructive criticism. One of two reactions that you'll get always. Reaction A, which is the ideal one, will be, thank you very much. I'm so happy you pointed that to me. Thank you for letting me improve myself. Reaction B will be, who put you in charge? <laughs> who made you the boss? Who, who, who made you the boss? Who, who, who told you to tell me what to do? That's reaction B. It's always going to be one or the other. There's no middle ground. There's no other reaction. There's no third reaction. When someone gives us Musr, rebuke, constructive criticism, our reaction is always Echem and time. Either, I'm so happy. Wow, I've been dominating like that for 20 years. Nobody ever said anything to me. Thank you very much for pointing that out to me in a very sincere way. Or the reaction will be, who put you in charge? And you know something, Rabbi Yisai? We hear Kaseda throughout Chumash. It's scary. There is a duo that every time they appear in Chumash and every time they have a, an encounter with a certain person, that's always their reaction. That, that's exactly what the Pasuk says explicitly. And this is none other than Dasan and Aviram. Dasan and Aviram, more than once, are confronted by Moshe. And Moshe tells them, in Shemais, why you guys argue? They were having a brawl. They were fighting with one another, Dasan and Aviram. And in Kairach, he tries calming Dustin and Aviram down. Why are you making a rebellion? Every time, if you look at Dustin and Aviram's reaction, if you look at Dustin and Aviram's reaction, when Moshe tries calming them down, it's a pillow. What do they tell Moshe? They tell Moshe, let's read an explicit passage. Um, so, uh, it says like this. Um, it says... Here. So Moshe goes out on the second day, he sees two Yidden fighting with each other. That's not good, you've got to break them up. So Moshe says, he assumes a leadership role, he tells this Rosh who is raising his hand to strike the other guy, why are you raising your hand to strike the other guy? So he said back, this person, Dasan, who Moshe was stopping him from hitting Aviram, who put you in charge? Who made you the shofet? Who made you the sar? It's a pasuk. It's not even a chazal. It's not a medrash. Not a gemara. It's an explicit pasuk in the book of Exodus over here. Who put you in charge? So here it's a pella rabbi say. Rabbi says in charge? What does that have to do with being in charge? What does that have to do with with um, someone else is in charge of me? Rabbi is not trying to take charge. Not trying to command anybody. He's trying to improve them. Trying to give them, you know... Something constructive, constructive criticism. Why this adverse reaction? Why this? Why are they jumping on Moshe? Who would you charge? The answer is again, when the recipients of Musar always react in one of two ways. One is either sincere thanks, the other is the reaction of Das Aviram. And, and in Kairach they have the same exact reaction. You can look it up later. Of who put you in charge? And it's all about the perception of what is it you're trying to do. What are you trying to do when you give me this advice? Is it indeed you're trying to improve me? You're trying to better me? You're trying to look after my welfare? Or is it you're trying to push me around? You're trying to boss me around. 
You're trying to push me around. And when I'm not prepared to hear advice from anyone, then I just see that you're pushing me around. I don't see that you're after my best interest. I just see someone with a power complex. I see someone who wants to push me around. That's all I can see. I see the guy who's trying to call the shots when I don't naturally make myself open and attuned for improvement. I just see someone who's trying to push me around. So that pushes my buttons and that gets me upset. That gets me angry. That gets me angry. Now, again, when I see someone who's just trying to push me around, I'm not ready to improve myself. I'm not ready to be receptive, to admit to myself that maybe there's room for me to improve. If we're not ready to admit that, then we feel like we're pushed around. It all starts off with what what is my starting point going into this dialogue. If my starting point is that I'm I'm prepared to improve myself and I want to improve myself, then I hear this with with welcoming ears and accepting ears. Thank you so much because I'm someone that wants to improve myself. Thank you for sharing that with me. But if I'm resilient to change, I really don't want to... I love myself and I love my habits. I love my lifestyles. I don't want to change myself at all. I'm not someone who's always looking to change. Then again, that, that, that jars me and that, that, that elicits an adverse emotional response of, of you're just pushing me around because I'm not open to change. I'm not open to change. Everybody understand? So then I, I see that you're just try, trying to throw your weight around. You're just trying to boss me around and I you have the reaction of Dustin Aviram. Now, here's the problem. How So that gets me angry. That gets me agitated when I'm not open to self-improvement, when I'm not open to working on myself and changing. So unsolicited advice and constructive criticism will agitate me, get me upset and angry. How angry will I get? That depends on how close to home this is. So I'm a, like a, a complete stranger. You know, I don't have much to do with you anyway, so I, I'll, I'll just tell you... Um, I give you a response of who put you in charge, and that I go my way and you go your way. The closer it is to 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 home, the closer the person is to me that's giving me that musr. If I'm not ready for that musr, I get more angry, I get more upset, I more get more agitated because I take it as more of an affront. I take it more personally if there's a more personal relationship. Everybody following the lumdus over here. The closer that I am with someone, let's say I have a best friend, we've been best buddies for years. But I'm not someone who's ready to take Musr. I'm not someone who wants to improve myself. I'm not someone who's looking to hear criticism. And this is my best buddy. And he turns around and says, you know what? I think you daven too loud. You know what? I think you daven too fast. Coming from a best friend, that's a knife in the back if I'm not looking to improve myself. That's a betrayal. And that gets me very angry if it's from a close one, from a loved one. It's going to get me very angry. And what do you do? Again, when you're not looking to improve yourself, you're not looking to work on yourself. And you feel that betrayal. You, you, someone gets you angry. Someone angers you. What's always the reaction when we're attacked? We want to do what? Counter. We want to attack back. That's right. We want to counterattack. So we return to Yaakov and Ruvain. I know we have such a beautiful understanding of what's going on with Yaakov and Ruvain. Why is Ruvain waiting? So the very end to give a son Musr. Why is Moshe waiting to the very end to give Kleistral Musr? The answer is there's a concern. Moshe doesn't. No, where all the Jews are holding. Maybe there's even out there that are not holding by taking constructive criticism. Reuven. Yaakov's afraid. Maybe Reuven's not holding by hearing the constructive criticism the way he needs to hear it. If this happens in Yaakov's lifetime, Yaakov, who's his loving father, gives his son a little bit of admonishment. Again, a son who has, who's, uh, he has a kid who's not holding by hearing Musr and taking Musr. He has a great relationship with his father. His father suddenly gives him a rebuke. We can all visualize it. We can all feel that. We will feel very hurt. 
we'll feel, feel betrayed almost. We'll feel stabbed by our father, stabbed by our parents, and, and, and that'll elicit an angry response. When someone gets us angry, when someone lacerates us, we want to lacerate back. When someone punches us in the gut, we want to give a gut punch back. So what's the, 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 the what can Yaakov, what, what can happen to, what can Reuben do to Yaakov? If Reuben wants to make Yaakov suffer, if there's indeed a fear, that Reuven's going to get shaken up. Reuven's going to feel attacked. Reuven's going to get upset with Yaakov giving him Musr. What can Reuven do back to Yaakov to get him back? Abandon Yaakov and go join Esav. As we said, it was such a, at first glance, such an illogical thing. Why should Reuven walk out of the tent, walk out of the, walk out of Kleistra and go join force with Esav because his father's giving him Musr? The answer is, it's Huadavashar Dibarnu. It's the whole progression and, and setup that we just described. Yaakov is not confident, and he doesn't want to take that confidence to the, to, you know, to the very end, engaging where Reuven is holding. He has to be concerned for the worst, and to be concerned for the worst is maybe Reuven's not holding by receiving constructive criticism, and maybe Reuven's going to have perhaps an adverse reaction, and Reuven's going to get very upset that Yaakov is getting him upset, and Reuven's going to say, "I got to get my father upset. My father got me upset. I got to, I got to hit back." As does Navirim hit back in Moshe. They, they turned Moshe in. They turned him in. I got to hit back. What's the best way that Reuven can hit back? How can he really get his father? If he really wants to hurt his father, he'll go join Esau. There's no logic behind it. He doesn't really want to join Esau. He doesn't like Esau. If I want to hurt my father, I'll go off the derech. And Rabbi says, so often kids do this, unfortunately nowadays, so much, probably 99.999% of kids who go off the derech are doing it to get back at their parents. They're doing it because their parents got them upset when they were younger. They're doing it because their parents rubbed them the wrong way. They feel their parents mistreated them. They feel their parents... They didn't respect them. They feel their parents didn't hear them. And now that they're older, they can wound their parents back. They can get their parents back. So they go off the derech. That's what happens. There's a lot of pain. Yaakov is afraid that Reuven may still may feel that pain and may need to pain him and hurt him back. Yaakov says, I can't take the risk. So I'm going to give Musa right before I have nifter. So the second question we ask is, why is giving the Musa right before he's nifter? Why does that alleviate that? Why does that address that concern? Very passionate. Because if the whole fear is, Yaakov doesn't really want to go, Yohun doesn't really want to go to Esau. It doesn't make any sense to go to Esau. He knows that the truth is with Beis Yaakov and not with Beis Esau. He knows that the whole thing is a sheker, the chazav. He doesn't really want to go there. The only reason he would go join forces with Esau, go off the derech and leave his father doesn't go to Esau is to get his father upset. No, if his father's not around anymore, his father's already gone to the island of his father's nifter, there's no one around anymore to get upset. Now he's able to hear <coughs> and think clearly and process this lesson and message because there's, there's, there's that, that Nagiyas, that 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 um, obstacle is gone. That need to lash back out at his father, need to get his father upset. That's been revealed because his father's not around anymore. His father's been nifter. Now he can think clearly. Now he can see clearly. Now he can process clearly because that Nagiyas has been removed. That's why Yaakov gives Musr to to Reuven right before he's nifter. That's why Moshe is giving Musr to right before he's nifter. In case Khalil of there should be hidden. They're not going to take it so well, and they're going to need to get Moshe back. But there's no Moshe around. There's no, no Moshe around anymore to get back. There's no Moshe to attack anymore, and they can think clearly. They can see clearly. They can process clearly. There's nobody to hurt anymore. A beautiful idea. So what's the what's the, what, what's the uh, lesson for us? It's a lesson for us, not just in giving Musr, but in taking Musr. Much more of a lesson for us in taking Musr. Rabbi says someone wants to give us constructive criticism, they're our best friend. Whether it's coming from a stranger, whether it's coming from a loved one, a parent, a sibling, a child, they're our best friend. We have to be always primed and receptive to hear Musr. They really want to help us. As opposed to having that reaction, the Dustin Vavirin reaction of who put you in charge, no one put them in charge. They're not trying to be in charge. They're trying to help us. They're trying to better us and improve our lives. 
And when it comes to giving Musr as well, we have to be aware of this obstacle. We can't afford, as we said, to wait till 120 to give Musr to our children. They need Musr all the time. All the time they need Musr, right? So you got to wake them up sometimes in the middle of the night to give them Musr. 24-7 these kids need Musr. We can't afford to wait till 120, but we have to be aware of this natural block, this natural impediment that people have, certainly our kids and our colleagues and our peers and our students, we have to kind of anticipate that, preempt that, and give the Muslim in a very loving way. They shouldn't at all have any way of being able to think that we're coming from a, a position of power complex, pushing them around, bossing them around, nothing of the sort, nothing of the sort. Okay, Do we, is the, the Rebbe's here? I don't think he's here, right? Okay, so we have two. Let's just allow the audience indulgence. Two more minutes. We're going to say one more idea. Because is not for another. We have plenty of time for Mincha. Shkia is not for at least another 20 minutes or so. 20 plus minutes. So two more minutes for one more idea in the parasha. So we said that Maisha gives Musr El Kol Yisrael to all the Yidin. Ashadibar Maisha Elad Dvar Ashadibar Maisha El Kol Yisrael. Maisha gave Musr to everybody. He gave Musr with all of Klai Yisrael present. That's, that's very uh, emphatic and very all-inclusive. And Rashi says this was one of the miraculous events where everyone was assembled, everyone was gathered, and everyone was able to hear Moshe without any uh, PA system. And why did he give, why did he give why did he give Musr to all the Kleiser when they were all assembled? So Rashi says because if even one guy wouldn't have been there, everyone's going to go back to that guy. He knew what did Moshe say? Oh, Moshe gave us Musr left and right, up and down. So that one guy who's outside would have said, "Oh, you should have said this, that, and the other." One guy who wasn't there would have given us the response to give back to Moshe. But now that everyone's here, no one has any responses. What's the pshat? If no, if you're not there, you have the best response to Moshe, but if you are there, you have no responses. So it's always like this, Rabbi. It's such an amazing idea for life. Whenever we're not there, whenever we're not present, it's very easy to argue from a distance. When we're at a distance, we only hear the generalities, the basics, the clothing. We never hear the problem. We don't hear the details because it's not relevant to us. If we're present, it's relevant to us. You know, everyone has the, the best political opinions when you're not part of that debate. From a distance, that's, this is what this guy's doing wrong. What they're doing wrong, they should improve this and stop doing that. When you're in the thick of things, actually debating someone, you see it's a very different story. Everyone has to be there because if everyone's there, it's negated to every single yid. Negated to every single yid that they realize there is no response. When I'm on the outside, it wasn't. I'm not really listening so well to what you're telling me. So of course I have response after response after response. I'm only hearing the generalities. I'm not hearing the specifics. I'm hearing the klalim and not the pratim. When we give things over, we have to be internalizing pratim. And then we see it's relevant to us. If we see it's relevant to us, we get pratim. And uh, we should be zeichah to live our lives as Torah true Jews always. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining. A wonderful Shabbos.